Hey folks, it's your host Julian. This marks our second parter with Ian Jones Cordy. We talked the early days of Steven Universe and what it was like bringing the show to life with his wife Rebecca. We also hear about the trials and tribulations that this show faced from day one. We also talk OKKO okay, Let's Be Heroes and we hear what it was like from pilot to production, so buckle up, we go deep. We'll also hear some of his favorite moments and memories. I hope you all have enjoyed these last two episodes as much as I have. It's been very fun getting to pick Ian's brain and chat cartoons these last couple weeks. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a rating, tell a friend, and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian. And today, I'm joined by a returning guest, Mr. Ian. Ian, how are you, sir? Hey, how's it going? Happy to come back. Oh, fa- oh, man, this has been a blast. Like I told you before, anytime I get to say, hey, yeah, I'd love to come on the show, I'm super pumped, man, because you guys did some really cool shit. And one of the first cool things you did after you know you had left Adventure Time was working on this very show, very small show that nobody ever heard about. So we're going to break the news here. It's called Steven Universe. And that was completely sarcastic. It was a huge show. It was a beautiful show. It was a great show, man. And you were there from the ground floor, man. So what was it like? How did that start? Where were you at when Rebecca was like, hey, Steven Universe? So yeah, um, I was working on Adventure Time. I left to do boards on Secret Mountain Fort Austin, which I think we talked about. And uh, during working on secret mountain fort awesome uh they were looking for new shorts for um a program that was called cartoon institute uh which the first round of cartoon institute is is what uh regular show uncle grandpa the original one um you know a couple other shorts and they were looking to do another round of those and uh, they had seen some of my boards for um, for Secret Mountain, and they asked me to make a short. They asked my partner, Rebecca, to make a short also. They had seen a lot of her boards for Adventure Time. And after those shorts came out, basically, they were just like, we got to have new shows. Go, go, go. Let's make new shows right away. Um, and my show, OKKO, OK wasn't quite wasn't quite ready needed like a little more time to develop uh but steven universe they were like very uh confident about they were like this show is ready we can do it you know the thing that's so funny is you know the show wasn't ready like you know when you make a pilot technically you know there's no pilot that's like done done usually with pilots it's like you do the best you can usually you run out of time you like try to tell the best story you can the best uh you know try to show the off the characters and the world like in the best way you can but like usually you don't have time to like perfect the designs to like write the story that you want to write to like show as much of the world as you want to show and so rebecca basically there was the task of turning her short steven universe into a series and I worked on the short. I like helped do like boards and stuff. And, you know, as a sounding board, you know, we helped each other on our shorts. And so we made a deal with each other. Like, Hey, if one of our shows goes, mm-hmm. uh, we'll work with the other person and we'll make a home inside. We'll make a home inside their show for your thing that you do, you yeah. know? So basically I was involved in, sort of 
helping turn this one short into like a whole series. Of course, you know, Rebecca already had characters and ideas of like where those things will go. They all just needed to like be organized. And so I worked with, uh, um, so it was at first it was just her, then me. Then we worked with um, her brother, Stephen Sugar, who's, who's a really accomplished artist in his own right. He's really good at world building. He loves like drawing maps and coming up with like worlds and stuff. So he started designing the world. Then we brought on, um, we brought on uh, um, uh, writers. We brought on uh, Ben Levin and Matt Burnett, who were uh, writers who we knew from New York, who had, they had done a bunch of amazing, amazing uh shorts uh like their own like they did their own like stuff which is like always like the the way you know that like someone uh is really is going to be really good to work with is that you know they have their own style and they make their own uh material and so we brought them on and they started like helping fill out the world and we started writing like a couple episodes then we started bringing on like storyboarders and designers and you know, we had like, um, there were a lot of like incredible talents who, you know, we were just trying to put a show together. And that was like, these were like all of our first uh, attempts at doing that. We didn't know how to like do all these things. Luckily, you know, I had a lot of experience working on Venture Brothers and my job on Adventure Time was much more like a technical job. So I sort of used some of the some of the skills that I got from that to sort of put together, like what our pipeline's going to be and how is it going to be different from other shows? And, you know, and then eventually um, we sort of had to like internally pitch this new version of the show. Um, and that, that es- es- essentially ended up becoming the, the show that was on TV. Now, what's the energy? Like, obviously, you two are, you made that pact, like, hey, if yours gets picked up, we're just going to go all out for yours and vice versa. When it comes down to it and Rebecca's show gets picked up, what is that energy like? Are you guys excited? Are you guys like, oh, shit, like, what do we do now? Like, what's the, what's the feeling? What's the process after it gets picked up? I mean, we were just like, our minds were just blown. We were just like, let's just try to do let's just try to make it the best show we can. Um, Let's try to put in everything we ever wanted to put into a cartoon. You know, we had so many things that we loved, you know, from like Dragon Ball to Hellboy to like, uh, you know, just like, we were just like really excited to do as much as we can. And, you know, I think for, for me, I wanted to make sure like, you know, I usually try when I approach um, when I approach a project, I usually think about the whole world, the environment and stuff, and then work my way into like the characters, the plots, you know, the motivations. Um, And Rebecca is really good at starting with the characters, the motivations, the plots, and then working her way out to the world. So we just started sitting down and just started working on it. And we were like, we'll meet in the middle and then we'll see what we have. Um, and then we basically had this whole thing. And, you know, like I said, the designs for the pilot weren't really finished. So Rebecca basically like 
you know, just like locked herself into a, a empty cubicle at Cartoon Network and was like, I'm just going to redesign these characters because, you know, they're like nobody else is going to do it and I have to do it myself. And so that's why there was such a evolution in the art style uh, from the original to the show, because she really took it upon herself to create characters that, you know, because so many people like when you make a show. It's not just you drawing the characters like mm-hmm. everybody has to draw them. So she was like, I need to make characters that are fun for everybody to draw. So people aren't just trying to draw like me, that they can put mm-hmm. their own spin on these characters. And um, that was a really smart move because we ended up we ended up in a place where uh, we just all had so much fun, like playing with these characters, drawing them, coming up with weird stuff for them to do um, the whole idea was that these these are like characters that can do anything um and so we just had a lot of fun making that show now when the show when the pilot gets made you you said that everything wasn't technically finalized you guys would evolve these characters as it progressed now is that a understanding between you guys and cartoon network studios or anybody that might have bought a pilot that goes to series that's a general understanding like hey some shit's going to change yeah i think like Anytime someone buys a pilot, they're not buying, they're not saying this pilot is perfect, put it on TV right now with some very few rare exceptions. Usually an executive who buys a pilot is like, there's potential here. We can develop this into something. We can, you know, turn this into something. They might want to change like actors or they might want to change things about it. That's why usually like when you see a pilot, it's like, oh, it has, like, a different theme song or, like, it has a different actor or, like, Mm -hmm. it has elements that won't be seen in the rest of the series. Um, It's, you know, it's very rare that it's exactly the same. There's, like, there's definitely, like, some cases, um, let's say, like, you know, looking at, you know, just as an example, like, you were able to take the, the Dexter pilot and use it as an episode in the in the Mm -hmm. dexter's lab show uh because it was pretty much similar there were like a couple different things about the character designs but it pretty much went in you know powerpuff girls took a longer time uh to be turned into a series between pilot and series and you couldn't put the the powerpuff girls pilot as an episode in the powerpuff Mm -hmm. girls show the designs were too different. The vibe of the show was too different. It was just like, it didn't quite work. And I think that happens with a lot of shows. You know, the pilots are like a little off or a little weird or a little strange or like they're not strange. It's just that they're not, they're usually not finished. They're worked on by a smaller crew. Maybe you don't have like the kind of background style you want. You haven't gotten the right actors or the right (laughs) artists, you know, it's just, um, it's all a work in progress. And even a show is a work in progress. An episode, episode one is not going to look the same as episode 100 on like any show. I mean, you would hope that, that, you know, by episode a hundred, the show would look a lot better than episode one, you know? So, you know, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's like that for most things. There's always a feel of active development. And, you know, to me, that's the thing that I like the most, you know, I love when, and I love when you watch a show or you see a comic or you see someone's art and you see them constantly 
challenging themselves and like redefining themselves like as they do the work like mm-hmm. you know a, a great example is um is 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 the manga one piece it's like ichiro oda the mangaka for that it's like he had his things he was interested in in chapter one but those are different than the things he was interested in in chapter 500 and yeah. and he's just like if he's writing that and he's like oh, maybe I have to change the story a bit or change the art style a bit or, like, change the plans that I was going to do, you know, to make it the thing that I'm interested in, to make it fun for me and to make it fun for the audience. Like, that's the thing that's the most exciting, you know, to me. It's, like, stuff that's evolving and growing and changing. And I feel like all the best stuff really does that. Absolutely. Now, when a pilot's coming together like this, or just like a pilot in general, um, how much of the original team that works on the pilot, now just talking crew, not not so much the cast members and voices, because you said that's a ever-evolving thing, but how much of the artists and writers that might be a part of that pilot are going to come back to a series? Or does that all depend? That all depends, yeah. Sometimes it's, some you know, a lot of times with pilots, especially for cartoons, um, you have like a skeleton crew, and then mm-hmm. the sort of backbone of like the production side you know, might be running the production for all of the shorts. So maybe you'll have like a different producer, different art director, you know, who is just trying to, they're working with a bunch of different creators to make like those shorts. So like, for instance, for Cartoon Institute, you know, the, the, uh, you know, Rebecca had a short, I had a short, Toby had a short, you know, but we were working with sort of like the same core team mm-hmm. of, uh, of like, art director, uh, producer, you know? And so like, if we were able to turn those all into shows, we would have to get new, you know, production people, new artists, you know, we wouldn't have all of the same people. Um, so that's another reason why things can really change between a pilot and the show. Uh, you know, and I think that that just happens a lot. Like, you know, unfortunately, like, People have schedules, you know, it yeah. doesn't always line up and, you know, you can't always get the people who you want to get, you know. Now, when you are looking to build a team, you know, you obviously need writers and artists and backgrounds and painters and this and that and the other thing. But uh, do you guys get the final say on as far as crew goes, who can come in and who doesn't? Or is that a vetted yeah. process by Cartoon? Yeah. Yeah, we Cartoon Network will vet the people, uh, but, you know, technically... You know, we we try to work with who we want to work with. I, mm-hmm. I think that's that's really important. And I think, you know, at least at the time, Cartoon Network was really, um, they were really amenable to that. They were open. Yeah. You know, you'd be like, I want to use this person. They'd just be like, fine. they just like, check it <laughs> off. <you know? laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, who are some of the veterans that you guys are reaching out? Once this show goes from pilot to series and you guys are really ramping up for that first season, who are some of the animation veterans that you remember trying to bring in and getting on your team? Let's see. We worked with, well, the thing is, honestly, we worked with a lot of uh, really new talent. We worked with a lot of people who we brought out from, because we had just came come out from, uh, we had lived in New York. I lived in New York for several years. Uh, before like when i was working on adventure brothers and stuff and we brought out a lot of people who uh were working with us on the east coast who Mm -hmm. weren't actual like uh hollywood cartoon people you know um 
And so we brought out it basically we were trying to to bring newer people into the process, people who we thought were like, you know, really like excited about doing like, you know, uh, something new and something different. Mm -hmm. Um, But we did work with, you know, so for instance, we worked with some people who we had worked with uh, before, like uh, our timing director was Nick DeMaio who timed. He's like a very prolific sheet to sheet timer who uh he worked on venture brothers with me he worked on a ton of stuff he's worked on american dad family guy like you know a bunch of a a, a bunch of crazy shows he's he's done a bunch of things um we worked we, we brought in kevin dart is our art director our first art director he was basically he had been working at his own studio doing a lot of boutique like amazing like designs he was on he he had just art directed the um there was like a Powerpuff Girls special, and then we brought him in to do some Steven Universe stuff, and he started defining the show. And uh, yeah, you know we just um, but other than you know other than there wasn't there weren't really a lot of people who we were really like were looking for like you know, uh, I think I think it's more about the mix of experience and sort of something to say, Mm -hmm. you know, we found, we were trying to look for people who had their own point of view, um, who sort of like had their own creative energy, uh, because we always felt like the thing that's most exciting is when you get people with different creative energies into a room and you sort of bounce them off of each other Mm -hmm. and they all have their, their things that they think. And then you get into some really great, arguments and discussions and then you really find like something really fun like you know that something's good when it makes all those different people laugh you know absolutely man um so during the process of this first season it's a two-part question but uh when do you feel the most comfortable on working on this show and when do you guys know like holy shit this is something big and special (laughs) where uh it's never comfortable working on a show i think like show running is like i've heard it i've heard it explained like this it's like it's like you're putting together a train Mm -hmm. while it's moving and you're also putting down the train track that the train is on like while it's going it's like you're running back to the train and you're trying to put parts together and then you're like, oh, no, I'm going to run out of track. So you run over and you put track down. And then as soon as you do that, you're like, oh, then you look back at the train and you're like, oh, my God, it's on fire. And then you're like running back and forth. It's like you never you never get comfortable. Sadly, I think like you can get into like a good like rhythm where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we're doing some we're doing some really good stuff. We're having fun. You know, things are working like. You know, everybody thinks that everybody's saying that, like, they're really happy on the show. You can get into a rhythm, but that's not the same as being comfortable. I think like, but I think that's a good thing. I don't think you should get comfortable uh, working on uh, art because, you know, you you always need to have something to say. You always need to be challenging yourself or the people who you're working with. Um, So, yeah, to answer the first part of that question, I don't think we were ever comfortable. I mean. You know, honestly, we 
every season of the show, we considered the final season. You know, every every season finale was written as if, well, if the show gets canceled here, then then this will be a good finale. You know, why is that? I, oh, because you know, a show can get canceled at any time. You know, yeah. and and I think I think I think you know you have to write every season as if it's your last one. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you know you don't think like for instance when we started um, Steven Universe. You know, we had a plan for the story, of course. We knew how it was going to end. You know, we knew how how it started. We had, like, a couple, like, points, tent poles in the story. Like, we knew there was a big twist in the story that we were holding off on that was going to come maybe, like, a third, a third through the story. There's going to be a big twist, and then there was going to be, like, the, these finale parts. So we had this whole idea when we started, when we sat down on the show, but we didn't know that the show was going to, if the show was going to run for that long. So we just felt like, well, we might not get to tell the entire story, but Mm -hmm. we'll try to make it feel like a big event happens and there's some resolution so that if the show gets canceled, you know, the fans won't think, well, what, what's going to happen? Where's, where's the ending? You know, we would, we want to make sure that even if the worst thing happens and the show gets canceled, there will be some kind of an ending. I I'm not really a fan of just dragging a thing out longer and longer and longer. And then having the show just be cliffhanger upon cliffhanger Mm -hmm. upon cliffhanger, because you know, there's those times when, you know, shows get canceled and they don't come back, you know, and it's like to end one of those on a cliffhanger. It's like a real it's a real bummer, you know. Um, so, yeah, to, to answer about the comfortability question. Yeah, we were we were never comfortable. You know, mm-hmm. we were we were always sure, you know, because like the way they treated the show, it was just like we didn't know if the network liked the show or if they hated the show. Like. It was a black box. We were just like, you know, there were some times when we were like, because the thing is, we never missed a deadline on the show, like a delivery Mm -hmm. date for the episodes. Right. So we would like we would like bust our asses, you know, getting things done on time. And then the network would just like they would sit on the episodes. They just wouldn't air them. They'd be like, like, we'd constantly be like, so do you? do you do you guys like hate us or like you still keep asking for the shows and we still keep making them but you just don't do anything with them it was like a Mm -hmm. very like confusing thing and i can say all this stuff now because i think everybody who was doing that to the show is probably fired by now so (laughs) they all moved on to other jobs so i think it's i think it's fair for me to say that but like we were just confused the whole time and we were just like well, the checks keep coming in. They keep mm-hmm. letting us make the show. So let's just keep going. Like, you know, so we were never comfortable. Um, as Is that for, why you weren't comfortable? I don't mean to cut you off, but was that oh, why you guys felt so uncomfortable? Um, I think we were also constantly trying to um, push ourselves to, to, to make stuff that excited us and excited, mm-hmm. you know, the people who we were working with. Um, 
you know, when we were constantly pushing ourselves and, you know, <laughs> we were young and we were reckless and we were just like, we were constantly trying to like, you know, one up each other and get each other mm-hmm. like interested. Like we were like, you know, we all, we all had like that sort of like competitive spirit of like, you know, I dare you to care about this thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we, we, we spent a lot of time like in the pitch room trying to make each other laugh, trying mm-hmm. to make each other cry, you know, trying to like push, push your boundaries. And like, you know, we got into, we, it was just so fun. Cause we would like, we would really like try to hash out like story things and like, you know, just have a lot of fun, like making the show. And like, you know, we didn't, we didn't think the thing was like supposed to be like a perfect masterpiece. Our idea was that it was just going to be fun and audiences would, would, would see how fun it was. And, And like, we also didn't intend for the show to be like a thing that was like, teaching lessons or something we Mm -hmm. saw it as like we're telling the stories of the lives of these weird characters of these weird Mm -hmm. funny unique characters and we would just sort of like have fun like creating like oh what would this character do if we did this or how what if we put these two characters together and and what what would happen you know um and it was just so fun it was just so fun but yeah uh Oh, as for part two of the question, when did we know it was something big? The thing is, again, like I said, we never really knew. Like we, like, you know, we, you know, because of the way that the network treated us the whole time, we couldn't tell, like, you know, when the show premiered, like the people, people at the network were like, oh, it wasn't that big a premiere or like they, they started like trying to say we didn't do that well. And we were just like, okay, well, we're still making the show. Right. And then I guess like we made the, um, the finale of the first season, which was, which was, which was a two-parter, the return and jailbreak. And um, we just saw like overnight, like people, like, there was just like an explosion of like Mm -hmm. people like online were just like, yeah, you know, sending us messages and trying to talk to us. And there was all this like fan art and all this stuff. And people seemed to like, really like the show. And we were just like, Oh, maybe people do like it. I don't know. Like Mm -hmm. we weren't really caught up with like the, the, the fan response too much. Um, So we were just like, we were just kind of surprised by the whole thing. Like we didn't, and, and we didn't even understand, like we hadn't made shows before. So we didn't know like, Oh, does this mean it's like a success or does this mean Mm -hmm. it's like a big show, you know? But I think like there was a time when, you know, we were doing like in-person events and I think there was one like Comic-Con where we were doing a panel in a ballroom and we i guess someone told us this later but who was in the audience there was like a really big like really big show that was in that was in the same panel room in the hour before us right and i guess like 
people weren't really like applauding for that show. And then later we found out, oh, it's because everybody in the panel was just there to wait for the Steven Universe panel. Like everyone in the audience. And that blew my mind because I was Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute. They're all, they showed up like two hours early to like see our panel. Like it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. That was like, that was one of the moments where I was like, oh man, this thing is kind of huge, isn't it? You know, like standing up in front of like, you know, to 20,000 people and we're just mm-hmm. like you know this is our cartoon you know <laughs> that's so fucking cool man uh since you brought up comic-con uh i've i've, I've asked this question a few different times man and it's always really cool because you never know what response you're going to get barring that example right there um what's the what's the what's the coolest fan experience you've had at a comic-con oh man uh I think there's still, I think this video still might exist, but um, for one year, the year when that OKKO came out, mm-hmm. they built the bodega from OKKO on the floor yeah. of Comic-Con. And it was insane. It had everything. It had like a sign. It had like, uh, it, it like, you could like go inside it. There mm-hmm. was like character standees. There was like places where you could like take pictures. You could like get products from the shelves. Like it was crazy. That was the most insane thing. They like took the background art from the cartoon and like plastered it all over the walls. And you could like, I was like inside my own cartoon. It was insane. That that was like the craziest. I had never seen anything like that before. And I don't think I ever will again, to be honest. Cause like, I don't know who's spending that kind of money these days. <laughs> Did it feel like a dream sequence? Did it feel real when you're inside your creation in the real world? No, I I was just like, I was astounded by the whole yeah. thing. I couldn't believe it happened. It was it was insane. Um, and I have like I sh- I took like tons of pictures and I shot video of it because like I don't know even now I'm like I can't believe that happened. That was insane. Now go back to five year old you. You're yeah. in that same mindset, man. What do you think five-year-old Ian would say to you? I don't even know. I wish I could go back and tell myself, like, one day you'll make a show that's going to be on Cartoon Network. Because I, I, I would flip. I would absolutely. I would. I don't know. I don't know how I would respond because, like, you know, cartoons were just my life growing up, and you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're still my life now. But you know, I was just like that was one of those moments where it's just like unbelievable, you know, like, like being a kid at, at a, uh, at a theme park where you, yeah. where you think, where you believe it's real, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. that's really cool. Now we're going to jump off of uh Steven universe for just a little bit, man, because yeah. we're here for okay. KO man. Uh, but before we leave Steven universe, uh, I asked you. I asked you about the uh, the other creators of the other shows you had worked on. What was one thing that you took from them as far as a learning experience? Now, obviously, you and Rebecca are tied to the hip forever, man. So I'm sure yeah. you're learning stuff every day, buyer. But what's one thing you learned from her from Steven Universe? Let's see. Oh, uh, the main thing I think I learned from Steven Universe is um, there's a real power to creating a character that the audience can fall in love with. Like, mm-hmm. like 
and that is like the thing you know and and when you really think about like your favorite cartoons it's like those characters those are like they're like your friends and you mm-hmm. you just love them and you love you just want to see what they're up to and you really like care about them that i think is the main thing i took away from working on that show um because rebecca has a knack for creating um these like lovable characters that you're just mm-hmm. like you're just like obsessed with you know you just you know them so well like you're just like oh that's so that character you know you just um and there's like some real power to that you know i think um and that's the thing that like in everything since i'm like trying to create um a character you can fall in love with um and i think that's like definitely something i'm gonna carry forever because it's like the most important thing Absolutely, man. What a beautiful way to transition to OKKO, man. So obviously, you said at the beginning, you guys were working simultaneously on pilots, man. So hers gets picked up at that time. Yours doesn't. Um, How often are you revisiting that or flushing out any ideas until you start the work on the pilot? So basically, what happened was, um, so I had already made the pilot. I was working on uh, Steven Universe. And they still wanted to develop uh, something with OKKO. They weren't sure what yet. Um, so they had me working on the side on like random stuff. Like I was making new storyboards for it. I was like doing new character, character artwork. I was like, um, I was like doing like, we were doing like all these uh, projects. We made like a mobile game they found a company that made like a um they made a beat 'em up uh game for like the phone for iPhone and Android and they made a version of it with the OKKO characters in it and so i was like you know making character artwork for it like giving them like like storylines and stuff like that um and uh i was like doing all this random stuff and then uh then I started working with Toby. Um, I, I had met Toby um, years before. Um, he made his pilot. And then I really needed help doing more stuff with um, with with the OKKO character. So I asked Toby Jones, hey, do you think you could help me write some of these stories? And so we started storyboarding it together. And then we... We were working on it and I was doing all of this on top of my work on Steven yeah. universe, by the way. Um, uh, I had the, the heart of a man in his twenties. I don't know. If <laughs> <I'll> ever, <laughs> you know, I was burning the candle, both ends. I didn't care if I got sleep, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I was like, you know, d- don't overwork yourself. I'll just say that to everybody out there. But so I was doing both. And then at some point I was like, it's too much because they were asking me to do like they were like okay we want you to make a presentation for okko we want you to make three new shorts we want you to do they wanted all this stuff and then Mm -hmm. i just had to step down from steven universe which was really sad because there were a bunch of stories that um that we had planned and that you know i helped write that i wasn't going to get to see through as episodes which really like bummed me out um you know i really i really 
I really am sad about the the Steven Universe I didn't get to work on because I yeah. really loved working on that show and I loved that crew. But yeah, I had to go and basically they just it was just like me and Toby, they put they put us on a f- random floor uh at, in the Cartoon Network building where there were just like some empty offices and they were just like start working on a show and we like mm-hmm. found a writer who came in uh Dave Tennant who helped us like a couple days a week um we just wrote a bunch of stuff then we boarded some we boarded like a few shorts we got like some help from a few different storyboarders then we had a couple different animation studios do these episodes, do these little shorts and then we started pitching that show this version of the show we started pitching it to the network and one of the things they said was that you know we they needed like heart and charm like they wanted mm-hmm. to see like the heart and charm version of it and we really found that because like um you know the whole the whole setup of uh Lake Plaza Turbo and later the show OKKO OK for viewers who don't know it's about a kid named KO who's young he wants to he wants to be a cool uh action hero when he grows up uh but for now he's just like working at a mini mall uh working mm-hmm. at like a convenience store uh he's like really young but he has like two older teen friends who are kind of like they kind of give him challenges and he looks up to him he looks up to both of them and like you know that was the idea for it but i think like in that summer you know we discovered something else which was like I really had to think about, you know, where did that come from? Like, I remember when I made the original idea, it was because, oh, I used to work at, you know, in retail. I worked, you know, at a grocery store when I was younger. And, you know, I had these aspirations and I would meet like these older people who I looked up to. Mm -hmm. And then I really realized that, like, you know, I put it all together in that pilot but i didn't know why like why was it like that you know and kind of digging deep i realized that like oh the reason why i'm fascinated by this is because you know i loved when i was a kid i loved being in like spaces that weren't like specifically for kids like Mm -hmm. you know my mom used to take me along with her to like work she used to she worked at a university she worked in the library she's a research librarian and I used to just like walk around, you know, this library. I used to walk around the campus, you know, and I was like, it was weird that there was like a kid there, but I was like, yeah. I was just so fascinated in being in this space that wasn't like a hundred percent for me. And, you know, I would see people who were like older, who I like looked up to, you know, who I was curious about, you know, and I, I think like, that's why I like made it so KO's mom worked at the plaza. Like I didn't even realize it when mm-hmm. I was originally putting it together, but I was like, oh, this is kind of about this, like these experiences I had as a kid and like why that's really important to me. And then at the same time, I was like, what were the things that I was like dealing with at that time? When I was a kid, I was like hyperactive. I had like, I had like some, some emotional issues. Like I was like, you know, I was kind of like, I was, I was very imaginative, but I was hyperactive and I had all these plans in my head. And then when things didn't go right, I could throw tantrums. I was like mm-hmm. a cry baby, you know, 
And I remember like being a kid, like sort of dealing with that. And then I realized like, oh, in that story about KO, like, you know, wanting to be this hero, but not being sure he could do it. I was like, that's why I wanted to tell that story because at that time I was kind of dealing with that like inner turmoil as you do when you're a kid, you know, that like, yeah, no one, no one can really define it for you when you're a kid, you're going through it. You can't, you don't understand it yourself. You know, you're going through something. Maybe your parents can understand like, Oh, he, you know, he's got, he's got some like emotional problems or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, you don't really know it. You're discovering it yourself when you're little. And I realized that, like, that's basically K.O.'s story. And then we started writing, you know, we wrote the arc of the series. And then we realized, like, oh, that's kind of what he's going to have to struggle with is sort of, like, his own internal, um, his own internal wondering if he really is going to be a hero or, like, Maybe he's not good enough, or maybe he's got darkness inside of him that came from somewhere. And that kind of became sort of filtering those ideas through like the prism of, you know, genre media, anime, cartoons, like, like tokusatsu, everything that we love, you know, we got like the story of OKKO. And then that's the show that we ended up making. That's really cool, man. I wrote that Tokotatsu so I can look it up after. Um, this question could go one of two ways. Bad if it's if it's not a good story, but good if it could. Um, did your mom? Did your mom get to see you create your show? She did. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. She. Um. Yeah. She's still with us. She's. Uh. She. <laughs> it's funny. She's. She never really got animation that that much. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not her thing. Um, she liked cartoons when she was little, but I think, you know, she like tries to understand like new cartoons and it's not really, it's like not all thing. too fast and too loud and stuff. Uh, but she was really, um, you know, she was really proud and happy, um, that, you know, she understood like w- what I was putting into it and like, yeah. you know, um, uh, you know, as a person who, you know, really, my mom really like inspired me and also like pushed me forward and like really helped me be a creative person. And she was a really creative person herself, you know, um, like, you know, she understood how much it meant to me, you know? And it's like, uh, every time, like I was like putting, you know, I wanted to make sure too in the show that like KO and his mom had a really genuine, really nice relationship because mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like the relationship I had, you know, with my mom. And I think a lot of people have with their moms and, you know, I just wanted to make sure, you know, I just wanted to put that on the screen and uh, that, that was something I got to do. That's really cool, man. And, and it's always shout out to moms out there. Cause I had, a, I have a, I have a mom too that, Every time I try to do something, whether it's with cooking, whether it's with podcasting, whether it's whatever the fuck it might be, she's like my first fan. I always say it, uh, you know, whenever you go to the gym and you start working out, right, everybody starts with a low weight and you build up to it, right? So whenever you start something, generally your first fan of anything you do is your mom. My first fucking subscriber on YouTube was my mom. My first person (laughs) that ever shared a post of mine was my mom, man. So I love my mom. I'm sure you do too, man. So shout out to all moms. Absolutely. Um, so Absolutely. as 
as the show is starting to pick up steam, right? You guys are working that first season. Uh, you and Toby are starting to add people into your team um, and start building the world from the inside out with OKKO. Um, when you set out to do this show, was there anybody in particular as far as a writer or a storyboard artist or even a voice actor that you knew you had to have on the show? You know, it's funny. It's like we didn't have particular people, but mm. I think we. I'm trying to think if there were. Well, again, very similar to when we started, Stephen, we were looking for, at least on the art side, we were looking for people who had something to say who had their mm -hmm. own points of view. Um, and we managed to end up, you know, working with some really talented people from all over, you know, who had, who some people who had worked on a lot of things, some people who were like brand new to the industry. Um, when it came to the voices uh, for the villain, Lord Boxman, I really wanted it to be Jim Cummings. This was like, <laughs> you know, going back, you know, to like my childhood, like, this guy was really, I mean, he, he can do anything with his voice. Mm -hmm. He can be Dr. Robotnik or Winnie the Pooh. You know, it's like, I, and I really, you know, I really had wanted to work with him. Um, and I'm really glad that we ended up doing that because we, um, so uh, going back even to how we're talking about pilots being like unfinished. So what happened with the OKKO OK pilot is, um, we weren't able to, we didn't even get to show Lord Boxman in the pilot. Like there was mm -hmm. a whole, there was going to be a whole climax where he like showed up and like he did stuff and he talked. We didn't even get to show it. It got, it got totally cut from the pilot. Uh, and part of that was because um, there was like a limit on how many voice actors that we could put in the pilot. Like the budget was ran out on voice mm -hmm. actors because we had to do uh remote voice acting for, for some of the characters, meaning we had to get like double studio time. And uh, so what happened with that was one, we didn't get to have Jim Cummings. We didn't get to show like the main villain. And then two, I want, I really, <laughs> I, he knows this too. I've talked to him. I've, I told him about it. I really wanted Eric Bowser to be the character rad. Wow. And, you know, I, we had gotten like, you know, auditions and stuff. And I was like, we're going to have him as Rad. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we ran out of money. And so they were like, I, I did the like temp voice. So it was just like, well, Ian, you could just, you should just do it. Right. So I kept doing the character for the main show. But I, I was new to voice acting. Like, I didn't really know, you know, what I was doing. And so, like, in that room, you know, we had, you know, I was in there. I barely knew what I was doing. And then we had Jim Cummings, who is, like, an absolute uh, voiceover legend. Yeah. And then as KO, we had Courtney Taylor, who is, like, an amazing voice actress who's done, like, who was... uh Femme Shep in, in uh, um, Mass Effect and has done like so many voices and is just like really good at like coming up with a character and being a character. She was in like every episode, like right next to me in, in that room. Uh, and then, you know, we had Ashley Birch as Enid, um, who was like, 
also like in every almost every episode and was like an incredible voice actress and had really done like so many things and really like knew how to like inhabit a character and so like i was just like looking at these people doing their work and like trying to learn from them basically and i think like i kind of got a crash course in learning how to be a voice actor you know, I go back to some of those first episodes and I'm like, what was I doing? You know, <laughs> but like I said, episode one and episode 100, you hope that you learn a few things. And by the time I got to episode 100, you know, I definitely remember there were like some times in the room where I was like doing lines and like I would just kind of like look around to like see like, did I do that? OK, you know, and then like yeah. getting like a thumbs up from Jim Cummings and Courtney and you know and getting that thumbs up from ashley that was like amazing you know that was like the greatest thing ever so during that uh during that that first encounter with jim you're in the room with him you're doing voices too how often when you're looking at him do you think oh fuck that's darkwing duck is he gonna do it (laughs) how often (laughs) i just have to kind of like put it out of my head you know because i'm just like this is yeah, because there's so many. I mean, like we, I had a chance to work with so many people. Like I, I already mentioned uh, getting to work with Lavar Burton and how how big a thing mm-hmm. that was was. But like there were so many people that like you know got to come through and we got to work with. Like I remember when Michael Dorn came in uh, on uh, we did a special with a bunch of old Cartoon Network characters and he came in to be the villain. But then he also just started. Uh, doing some lines as uh, I am weasel from, from uh cow and chicken. And mm-hmm. it was just like amazing to like, like watch it happen. I was like, I, this thing is coming alive. We did like a, a sp- uh, scary episode uh, with like some ghosts. We got to have uh Joe Nipote who played stretch in Casper be one of the ghosts, which Such was just a great like, movie amazing like i was just like i had to just stop myself from like fanboying out like crazy like all Mm -hmm. the time because like you know it was like it was it was so it was so awesome it was so awesome you know i've been doing this podcast we're going into our third year this year october like the week before halloween it'll be three years that's the first time anybody's dropped casper on this podcast <laughs> and i'm so glad you did the only reason i did is because w- the guy that does uh all of my editing his name is larry um and he's been he's been my best friend for as long as i can remember and we, we played on the same basketball team together since we were 16 right <clears throat> and uh we were talking about casper i want to say about six months ago because we had revisited it for some reason it was either trending on one of like hulu netflix some, somewhere right. around there so we're watching it and then i had to like stop because i was i started counting like every big cameo every sponsored ad this thing was one of the biggest billboards for ghostbusters for coke for insert right. the actor and actress in here i can't remember or i don't know when the last time you watched that but that one's worth a revisit just to point out been, and see how much you can pull yeah i haven't been back to that one but uh I, that'll be really fun to go watch that again 
Yeah, that's the uh, recommendation this week, ladies and gentlemen. Go watch Casper. Um, <laughs> as uh, and OKKO okay, and Steven Universe and Venture Bros and all these other shows we've talked about with Ian these Please. last these last couple uh, episodes, man. But um, so uh, I, I won't go too much more deeper into OKKO okay, because there's a lot of fans that had some very articulate and very point uh, yes. very poignant questions. So, um, what did Ian learn from Ian during the uh, during the creation of OKKO okay, and seeing it all the way through to the series finale? I think like the thing it's hard because uh, I learned so much over that, over the course of doing that show. Um, I'm trying to think of like a real lesson that I took away from it. I mean, I just had a blast doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think um, I had just really, I don't know. We, we, I had like the best team they were, you know, you're only as strong as like your, your backup, you mm -hmm. know? And I think that really made all the difference. Like I had a team that we just had like a really good cohesion on that mm -hmm. team. Uh, it was not like any other team I've ever been on at Cartoon Network. Um, I wonder if I should tell this story. Uh, there was like a, there was like some, you know how, like, you know, at places you work, you know, they, like, try to force you to do, like, you know, fun things together. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? There was, like, a uh, Cartoon Network barbecue kind of thing that we had at, like, a park. And they, like, rented out tables and, like, they were doing, like, all these, like, cheesy, you know, they were trying to get you to do, like, these cheesy games and stuff mm -hmm. like that, right? One by one, like... Everybody was doing it. It was like all the crews together, the crews of like Adventure Time, like, you know, regular show, like, like everybody was there, right? Real gangs of New York-esque. Yeah, but slowly, <laughs> all of the OKKO people started like disappearing, right? Traitors. <laughs> and then we just weren't there anymore. And like, we basically like were, we went in the park, just mm -hmm. like across the way a little bit. We found like a nice tree to like sit under and just like hang out and like mm -hmm. not do like the forced corporate like fun stuff. Mandatory like, fun, just, yeah. Yeah, just like to like chill out like by ourselves, like have our own little picnic. Like, you know, we didn't need to be forced to have fun with each other. You know, we just wanted to like hang out with each other. You know, and we just all ended up like having like the greatest time, but we yeah. didn't even do any of like the stuff that was like supposed to be like the mm -hmm. mandated fun stuff. We just wanted to hang out, you know, and the other way that we were really lucky on OKKO is somehow, and I still don't know how this happened. They asked us for our first season to give them 52 episodes. Usually mm -hmm. they ask for 13 or 26, but for some reason they asked us for 52 and they wanted us to just work on these and bank them. And so that when we come out with the show, they could do marathons or whatever. So we got to make the show. Basically we worked for two years without anybody seeing the show. And mm -hmm. so we just spent that time making each other laugh with the show. Like, we didn't like there was a point we didn't even want we we were like 
oh, we don't even have to release this because we got enjoyment out of making it for yeah. ourselves, you know? And that was like the whole sort of like ethos of the show. We would have these great pitch meetings where uh, if if a joke got a laugh in the room, it stayed in the show. That was mm-hmm. it, you know? And for us, it was like those episode pitches, that was the actually the show. Um, that was like the show. Like the show really only happened for like those people in that room who saw those pitches. Everything after that was trying to make something that resembled the feeling of being in that room with those people. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, obviously, you know, you get this from, you know, the, the, you know, the, the restaurateur world, which is that it's really about that team, Mm -hmm. you know, like, no, you don't get a good result when you don't have that like cohesion of the team, when everybody can, they can not only take orders but they can also use their individual strengths to make the whole thing stronger. You know, um, that, I mean, that is like the real thing that I came from that working with the team. I feel so lucky that I got to have an incredible crew, uh, you know, to work with, you know, they're all so great. Toby was like, as Toby Jones carried, uh, so much of the show on his back and he he turned it into something that was more than just one short but was like you know he was so good at like making every joke like really work and like we would sit in we would sit in a uh we would sit in a sound mix and like we would be going through every single fart sound in the library to trying to find the funniest fart sound you know how many how um, many we, sounds is there Oh my God, there's so many. There's so many. We would sit there literally just listening to farts over and over and being like, that one's not wet enough. Like, we need to. We get like, paid a- for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. We would be there for like hours. And then, like, we had several people. We had um, Geneva Hodgson, who was a storyboarder for the show, who ended up being a, um, who ended up being a director um, who helped us with so much. Um, who basically uh, helped us sort of uh, put all the boards into a shape where all the jokes were really working and like do a lot of like special things and really like work with the storyboarders to make sure that like everything like really like, you know, sung in the final show in like really specific ways that like Mm -hmm. only like diehards, the diehards really like care about, you know? We had just like the greatest team. Uh, there's so many, and I can mention everybody because people brought so much to it. I mean, something we did on that show, the whole thing about OKKO is that um, it's kind of, it takes place in a world of like every, like one of the things I really wanted from that show is every cartoon has like back, like random background characters, right? I wanted to make a show where every background character was a character and mm-hmm. you could like look at that character and be like, Oh, I like that character, you know? And like, I'm going to draw fan art of that character and that's my favorite character. So there's no like just randos. There are like all people who have like, you know, we made like a huge list of like every character, their name, a fun fact about them, what their powers were, 
like how powerful they were. Um, and then when the crew started working on it, they were like, Hey, can we add more characters? And we we're like, yeah, why not? So like the list of the characters, me and Toby together, we sat down. I think we came up with like 75 by Jesus the end Christ. of the show. I think we had like 150 or 160 unique like characters that we were creating people like like people were creating like the borders were creating them the background artists were like making characters we all made like original characters and sometimes like we would like pick out these original characters and we find like new stories for them like new things Mm -hmm. would happen you know from these characters it was just like i don't know i i've never been in like a uh creative situation that was as good as that and uh, i had so much fun making the show um and like when it came out whether people liked or didn't like the show it, it didn't even really i was really happy when people liked it but it's like like i said we were making the show for ourselves and uh we had so much fun with it it was just so it was just so much fun and anytime people like say like that they love the show or like love this character, that character, it really like hits me because like people will be like, like for instance, someone just like tweeted at me. uh, There was a character dynamite Watkins who was a news reporter and she had a sidekick who was a little guy with a camera for a head named cam. And they're like, Oh, I love that cam character. And I was like, it really hits me because I don't just, think about them loving that character i remember the people who made that character like cam cam wasn't even a character we came up with that was made because uh we were working with we had a game jam where we had people come up with ideas for like games with the okko characters and the winners of that came up with this character that was a little camera guy and we just loved it so much that we put it in the show and then it became someone's favorite character it's like I don't just think about the show or me. I think about all the hands that these things pass through. And I'm just like, I don't know. It's just like one of those like crazy, like feel the love kind of moments. And I'm always going to treasure the time that I got to work on that show. I absolutely loved it. That's really beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing that. There's one thing <laughs> that I I love doing this is that same joy that I've watched for the last few minutes of you talking about working with that team, you guys were really a family is what it sounds like, man. That same joy is the same joy that everybody in any kind of profession that they absolutely love chases on a daily yeah. basis. Whether oh, yeah. you're a fucking janitor and you want to have the cleanest toilets, uh, whether you're a fucking movie, uh, I'm going to say movie, uh, movie ticket holder, or whatever that fucking word is, or a host or a clerk yeah. or anything like that. You guys take it to a whole new level. And when you find joy and satisfaction in what you do, it translates into the product you gave us and what you guys gave us day in and day out with OKKO. I found the show through my oldest son, <clears throat> through my oldest son. I don't know if he was, you know, for the longest time we've had the cable cuts. We just do Hulu and all that other shit, right. but we'd have Hulu live so we could watch everything live. And I remember walking through and seeing stuff and I would hear him laugh. And if usually if something makes him laugh out loud, I start paying attention because I'm sure you'll notice this. Like once, yeah. like he just turned 13. It's very, it's very difficult to find anything to connect with a kid. Once they start hitting that preteen teen uh, era, right. um, very hard to, to get anything out of them. So when he laughs, I'm like, huh. 
yeah. file that one away real quick. We'll talk about that one at another pen. And once I have a whole pad full of shit that we can talk about, and we can watch. And that's what we did with this one, man. We watched it. Um, I had a blast with it. There's there's a few shows um, that 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 I can point to. This one, you know, regular show, Adventure Time, and all the direct correlation, Steven Universe. All of them had your fucking hands touching, essentially. Uh, you know, I had so, like I said, I had so much fun with these shows, and I can't thank you enough for what you've done and what you continue to do, man. Um, of course. As as we start to transition into the uh, fans' questions, there is a couple that I like to yes. ask. Um, and Please. I gave I gave these to Toby, and Toby Toby couldn't answer one of them, so I wanted to see if you could answer one of them. <laughs> All right, so before we get to that, this is the animation recommendation. So this is where you get to throw a name out there and say, hey, you should have this person on this. So if you've had fun on this show, who should we reach out to and try to get on the show? Do you think it'd have a blast on this one? Oh, interesting. Um, trying to think. Who would be fun to have on this show? I feel like... Um... You mentioned mm. her name a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I don't want to give, I don't want to tell who's, uh, who's available or who's not available, uh. Uh, but I think it would be fun. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that would be fun to have. Absolutely. On Absolutely. I, I don't know how to answer that. Sorry. Oh, no worries, man. All right. So we got the, uh, we got the fans questions here. So the first couple. Uh, you get five dinner guests, dead or alive. You're inviting them over to your house. You have to cook, and you have to come up with the first topic that everybody's going to talk about. So, who are you inviting to dinner, and who are you? What are you cooking? <laughs> There's I saw one the panic. I, have, I have no idea how to answer that. I have uh. no idea how to answer that. I, I guess maybe if I have some sort of universal translator, right? I can mm-hmm. talk to people who didn't speak English. Right. Okay. Uh, or like came from old times or something. I don't know. I'd say like definitely some kind of Neanderthal caveman or something. So <laughs> I just want to, I just want to know what's going on. What did you worship back then? Like what kind of rocks are you into? I don't know. I, I that's a really hard question. I, mm, I don't know. L- living or dead. I guess I would have to say, I don't know, man. I would want to ask, um, I don't know, maybe like I would get like, uh, I I would want to like, I would want to actually talk to like Bob Clampett, uh, mm-hmm. who was like, we talked to, I think we talked, we talked about Looney Tunes, but like, you know, when I was a kid, my absolute favorite Looney Tunes director, um, I would, I would, I would just like, I don't know. I, I would just like to see, I would just like to, you know, pick his brain, like talk about cartoons. Yeah. I would talk to, I don't know, Osamu Tezuka. I'd be like, what was it like to create Astro Boy? Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked really hard. He worked himself into the grave. I want to ask him if he felt like it was worth it. I want to show him uh, my Astro Boy fan fiction or something. Um, I don't know who else. Other people, living or dead. Um, geez, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I guess I would have my grandma come back because I kind of mm-hmm. miss her. Uh, she passed away when I, um, you know, she passed away um, about, I want to say about 10, 12 years ago. That would be great. She could meet a bunch of cartoonists. I don't know if she mm-hmm. would be interested. Um, oh, I think I have one more. Oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, living or dead living or dead i feel like i just want like uh 
I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'll pass on the last one. I only have four guests here. We'll see oh, what happens with fine. the caveman. With the caveman and my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of rocks are you into, dude? That that shit. Yeah. I want to see that animated. There's a couple. There's a couple parts in this show that I would love to see. There's a few up and coming animators out there, and some folks that are trying to break in the industry that listen to this one. So if you can, if one of you guys can go out there and take the clip where he's talking or where Ian's talking <laughs> about the train putting it together, and that's what you're going to get: the fires, laying the tracks down, and then the dinner party that Ian's <laughs> going to throw. Um, now, so the last part of that question is: what are you cooking, and then what are you going to talk about? What's the topic you're going to bring up first? Oh man, I think um maybe I'll try to make <clears throat> probably I'll probably I want to grill something. So yeah, we'll do like burgers. Maybe I'll do ribs. That kind of mm-hmm. takes like all day, but it's like very well worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. You gotta like do all the prep, you know. And then what do we talk about? I guess first it's like first I say like what is it like being alive for just one <laughs> night? Like I yeah. know you have to be here, like, uh, you know, talking to me, but let's, uh, you know, let's just mix it up. Like, what would you rather be doing right now? That'll be the first thing. I want to get that off the table so, like, people <laughs> can say, I want to see my wife again. I don't know. I want to see my children. You know, get get all that yeah. off the table. You know what I mean? Absolutely. All right. And the, uh, the next one is, uh, if you could be a fly on the wall in any point in animation history, and you can see the creation of one character, who would it be and why? Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, I just... It's hard to nail it down to a single character, but, like, the, the, like, reading all those animation books, like, as a kid, and, like, dreaming about what it must have been like at Termite Terrace, uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, to make, like, when when all the Warner Brothers cartoons were, like, getting made and, like, you know, the kind of, the the ways that when they would, like, pitch the characters to each other, I, I just wish I could, I could be a fly on the wall. I'd want to see what it was like when they finally nailed down Bugs Bunny. That would mm-hmm. be... It, that would be insane. I would, I would love to, you know, I I can, I can't even imagine what that, what that would have been like. That would have been awesome. Absolutely. I'll just, this is the I'll just try not to, I'll just try not to fly too close to them. So I get like swatted <laughs> or something. <laughs> this is the one that Toby couldn't answer, man. So you're setting out, you got the green light for a new show. There's no particulars about what the show is, but you've got to bring a writer a storyboard artist, a voice actor, and a director. Oh, Who are wow. you bringing from each of those categories? Oh, jeez. Yeah, he said it was categorically unfair to answer that question, so he did not answer that one. But yeah, I again, I'm. I think I'm gonna have to go with Toby. Here. Pass? I don't. Yeah. I do not know how to answer <laughs> that question. I mean, like that's tough because yeah, that's. I mean, that's on. Unf- I can't. There's too many people I ever want to work with and for different reasons. And who knows if they would all work well together. So yeah, I don't know if I can. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, no worries. All right. So uh we'll rotate into the fans questions portion. All right. So uh Maximum Vanilla Cone wants to know what was your most memorable part of being the co-developer of Steven Universe? Mm. Um memorable. 
I think the thing the thing that so there was okay, so really really early on, and I, I talked about this a little bit, uh, you know, uh at the very beginning, uh it was Rebecca, me, Ben Levin, and Matt Burnett. And we were just trying to break all the story. We were trying to figure mm-hmm. out what the story of the show was. And I remember when, you know, this is, this is, I'll try not to spoil Steven Universe for the people who haven't seen it. But, but this was really early on. This was like before we had, we didn't have a crew. I think we might have had one or two storyboarders at that time. We were still working on like an art presentation we were gonna pitch a storyboard and we had like a storyboard we were working on that uh never got made we didn't even have like a producer yet we didn't have like we weren't even we weren't even starting on the show but we were just trying to write the entire story of the show and trying to figure out why all the things that were happening in the story were were gonna happen and I, and I mentioned this there. So there's a twist that happens way later in Steven universe that kind of changes everything about the story. And I remember when we were in that room and I think like, I kind of, I pitched like the f- first part of this twist. And then like Rebecca s- started pitching on that idea. And then Ben and Matt started fitting it into all the stories. And then suddenly, like, everything started to make sense. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's why, like, it was like one of those things where it's like, we knew the things we wanted the world to be, but we didn't know why they fit in the way that they did. Like, why did the characters act the way that they acted? Like, like there's this big mystery in the show and it's like why is this thing like this big mystery and why are why does the lore of the show how does the lore of the show make sense to be in episode one how can we answer this later on and i just remember we had this moment where we were like all coming together on it Mm -hmm. and like i'm pretty sure ben wrote it down in a uh, google doc and it was just like it was one of those moments we were just like, oh my gosh, like, like, like now it all makes sense. Like now we can actually make the show. And it's like one of those things where now all the stuff we had already written made more sense. Like we could go back and sort of like figure in all the things. And, and then we got to basically, you know, this twist that was going to come like way later, you know, if you're on the crew, this thing was kind of like an open secret. Like we all knew about it. And it informed everybody's writing and like mm-hmm. we got to put in a bunch of clues and stuff. And um, Ben, uh, we always used to talk. I remember Matt Burnett was always really uh, we talked about how, you know, a, we wanted to write a show where the audience said, I knew it all along instead <laughs> of saying how'd that happen? That came out of nowhere. Yes. Like we wanted, we wanted the first thing, you know, and like um, the foundation. Exactly. So like we, we, that made us like really excited. <laughs> and that was one of the like really memorable moments that like everything suddenly was like coalescing, you know, that was like, that was like really fun. 
Absolutely, man. Uh, now, this one is a little bit long. So Danny is a phantom. I'm going to chop it up just a little bit because I thought this sure. was a very fun question. Um, so halfway through, he's like, uh, I imagine it's really intimidating to suddenly have to ship out an entire show. And I'm really curious what the studio offers in that capacity. We all know the classic Cartoon Network veterans like Craig McCracken, Kenny Tartakovsky, Mr. Warburton, Pendleton Ward, for example. Have any of them left something like, let's call it a Bible of notes filled with tips and tricks to stay sane, how to deal with Cartoon Network standard and practices, contact information uh, of those veteran showrunners uh, that more junior teams can lean into as a resource? I would say that would be a really good idea, but they did not have anything like that. No. In fact, I think they wanted us to not have anything like that. So, like, you know, like when I was talking about building the train, you'd think that there would be they would give you blueprints for the train, mm -hmm. but they would not. I think they want, you know, it was a really creator driven studio, and I think they wanted every creator to sort of figure it out in their own way. Of course, you know, the other side of doing that is that you can maybe save some money because a creator doesn't know what kind of budget another creator has, you know? Yeah. But like, yeah, no, there wasn't any kind of um, support in that regard, unfortunately. Um, of course, we knew each other informally, so we could kind of say, hey, this is going on on my show. What would you do? Uh, but there was no tips and tricks. We just kind of got thrown right into it. In the long scheme of things, seeing how your career played out right now, um, and do you think that would have helped tremendously, or do you think that would have been a hindrance on the growth of your career, you specifically? You know, I really don't know. Uh, I would like to say that, you know, I, you know, that I, I greatly benefited from figuring out everything on my own, but, you know, I had help, like, from people, and we all tried to just figure things out, like, when we yeah. could, and you know, uh, getting that help was really important. Absolutely, man. Um, how hard was it? Uh, this is from Godi Godi one one. How hard was it to get the various characters from other properties for the crossover episodes like Sonic? Oh yeah. Um, it was, it was difficult. So for OKKO, um, for those of you who don't know, the whole kind of conceit of the show, like I said, it's a bunch of characters that come from everywhere. Anyone can walk into the store. That's the whole idea. It's kind of a pastiche of uh, video games, superheroes, everything, you know? So we we actually were like, we were open to the idea of doing crossovers. And that kind of came, our executive was like, yeah, let's let's put like some crossover characters in the show. And we were just like, yeah, that sounds fun. And uh, it fit with like the vibe of the show. I don't yeah. think I love crossovers, but I don't think it works in every show. Like some mm -hmm. shows have their own identities. And it's like, unless it's like a special episode, like Jetsons meet the Flintstones or something, you know, it's like the Jimmy Timmy power hour. Yeah, yeah. You don't always want to see crossovers, but sometimes like um, it, sometimes it works as for OKKO. OK the whole premise of the show was just about every cartoon exists all at once in this world. And you can just throw anything at the wall and see if it mm -hmm. sticks um, for something like Sonic. 
that was really difficult because that was a character that Cartoon Network didn't own specifically. And we started in the first. So that episode came out in our third season. We started the deal to get Sonic in the first season. We were working on that deal for like several, several years. That one was really difficult because um, we just needed to, we needed to make sure that like they had to make sure that Sega was okay with, you know, having the character they needed. We needed to make sure that, uh, like there was a deal being done between Sega and Cartoon Network that was like amenable to both properties. You know, technically we're licensing the character from Sega to put in the episode, but it's also like we're advertising the character in a way. So like the deal is like really complicated on like Mm -hmm. the legal and money side and stuff. You know, we just wanted to make a cartoon, but there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of back and forth. Um, one of the things we did is we pitched the whole thing to um um we pitched the whole thing to uh the head of Sonic team um Izuka-san who actually came to a meeting with me and Toby and several other people from Sega and we basically we made like a PowerPoint uh talking about how much we loved Sonic and how we were like huge fans and how we were like we uh we like we like took a picture of us in like all of our Sega and Sonic gear like the Sonic hat and like we covered ourselves with Sonic comics and like you know we showed them that we're like you know we want to take care of these characters we really love mm-hmm. these characters uh we did like a whole pitch um and drew like really great drawings of the characters in our world um and they really loved it uh, they went back well and then once the actual thing was starting to happen you know they had the final say on how sonic was um portrayed in the in the episode you know it's their character so they get to decide but they gave us like a lot of freedom in how we portrayed the character but you know we showed them the character designs uh they had um they had a they had a um they had an artist from Sonic Team who uh is was one of the, like their senior artists like go over the character designs make sure that they're perfect you know that that was a really difficult uh process but it all worked out cuz they got it they loved it they understood what we were doing we were like there's references to Sonic things in here and we're like we're making it like the old Sonic cartoon they loved that they thought it was like really funny um they loved all the homages and stuff that one was really difficult the ones that were a little easier were for characters that uh were already owned by Cartoon Network for mm-hmm. instance we did an episode called Crossover Nexus which was like our biggest crossover it was like we tried to put almost every Cartoon Network character we could in it um that one we bear we basically for the featured characters we got permission we we showed it to all of the uh showrunners of the the episodes that were going and then for like a lot of the side characters we just had to get legal permission for every single one of those characters to go in 
but they were all owned by Turner, so or, or all earned by uh, our corporate parent. So that was okay. Mm-hmm. The other, the other kind of crossover uh, that we did, we did one with Captain Planet. Yes, which was like a, which was like a very nostalgic thing from like my childhood, mm-hmm. and like that one was crazy because honestly, they were just like we can't figure out what to do with Captain Planet, so go for it. You know, they were like, we're trying to figure out, we want to make a movie about him or maybe a show. We don't really, we don't know what to do. If mm-hmm. you want to do, if you can figure out something to do with Captain Planet, go for it. <laughs> and then we were just like, yeah, let's just put Captain Planet in the show. And he just shows up and he's in the show. The most fun thing about that episode though, was we were like, we will do it if we can get the, original music from the captain planet cartoon and put it in the episode and we managed to get like dig up a bunch of master soundtracks of like all the sound cues from the original cartoon and we played like a lot of them in the episode mm-hmm. it's like wall-to-wall music so like that episode like all the music you hear is like the original music and they had to dig hard to find those those masters because like they had to basically go to like where the where the those episodes were, you know, mixed. And that one was great because we got to talk to people from the Captain Planet Foundation. We got to talk to the voice, the Captain Planet himself. And he is like Captain Planet. Like he really cares about the environment. Yeah. Um, and he was like, he actually um rewrote some of the lines in the episode because he was just like, Captain Planet wouldn't say it like that like he is he's serious but he's not discouraging and we we were like he helped us find like the voice of the character um and yeah it was it was great still one of the best mullets in animation history too oh absolutely um, <laughs> <laughs> uh with something like that before we move on to the next one uh with something like that is it harder to get a character locked in or is it harder to get music locked in obviously with captain planet you had to go find it but i know yeah. there's some tricky waters there with legal I think getting yeah getting like a piece of music was was difficult too um but getting the character like an outside character like Sonic that was very difficult and and we had plans to do more outside characters like that but you know the show ran its course and we never got there with some of them but we were in early talks with like some other ones that uh I probably won't say because it would just make everybody sad that they didn't get to see it <laughs> uh no worries man um this is one of my favorite questions that uh somebody wrote in with neon champion 2099 wants to know all of the shows you worked on have some pretty positive and strong messages and most fans learned life-changing lessons from them what shows did that for you oh interesting well like i said um you know and this is very true and and please remember this uh the shows i worked on i don't think anybody intended them to teach lessons mm-hmm. like you're not supposed to learn from them um in fact i remember really early on like when i was working on adventure time and i talked about how that show was like poetry and it was like it was like amazing you know i remember being in a uh like a writer's I got to go to like a writer's retreat for adventure time. And I thought like, I remember I was like pitching a pitching. So I was pitching like a story or someone was pitching a story 
And then I remember asking sort of out loud, like, well, what does Finn, what's, what does Finn learn from that? And then I think, I think maybe it was like uh, Jesse Moynihan, who was a, who was a great boarder for the show was like, well, does he need to learn anything? Like, why does, why, why do you have to learn something from it? Like, we're not telling a thing that you're supposed to learn from. Mm -hmm. It's a story about characters, you know? And that really stuck with me and it, and it is something that really informed the work that I did. You know, I know a lot of people do want to say like, Oh, these shows are here for me to learn from, but I, I guarantee you, we did not work with education uh, experts or anything like that. You are not, it is not something that you can definitely like, these are situations with characters, but we're not making uh when you look at like preschool shows, you see how like these shows are like didactic, like they're yeah. they're designed to like teach you lessons. Like the characters go into situations and they're supposed to come out of them learning a lesson and you're supposed to apply that to your own life. Now, I can only speak for myself, but when I was working on Adventure Time, Secret Mountain, Steven Universe, OKKO, OK I never once, we never once went into these shows thinking people have to learn lessons from mm -hmm. these shows. That is not how we wrote them. We wrote shows about characters that were doing stuff and like you could watch a character do stuff. Now, if you want to take a lesson from a character doing a thing, that's fine. But we never intended to like say the way this character acted that's how you have to live your life. That was not <laughs> our intention. Absolutely. I, I just want to, I just want to put that out there, like right there. And when it came to me learning lessons from TV shows, like I said, I feel like Sesame street taught me a lot of things because that show was meant to teach things, you know? Yeah. And I think there's shows that maybe I got things from, but like, I don't know. I wasn't really ever in, like, when I watched cartoons when I was young, I was not in it for the lessons. And I watched, like, Captain Planet. I loved Captain Planet. That show is full of lessons. That is a didactic show that's trying to teach you how to live. But, like, I wasn't in it for that, you know? I used to love G.I. Joe. That had that at the end, you know? <laughs> like, when they'd be like, look both ways before crossing the street. G.I. Joe. Like, that was fun. <laughs> I learned lessons from that, you know, but like, I can't, I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you, like, I'm trying to think like, what did I learn lessons from? I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't in it for that, you know? Absolutely. Hey Arnold was that show for me. And I don't think they ever, you know, you know, went out and said, Hey, we're going to teach kids things. I think it was just, they were taking real life. And I think that's the correlation that most fans draw. Like, Oh, I learned a lot from this show, but when you're taking a show that's personal to you, and we'll keep it on OKKO for just a second, man. But when you're taking a show like that, that you created, right? You came up yeah. with, um, and obviously you're going to put some of your life experiences into for that sure. show. Absolutely. So when people can draw those correlations, like, oh, fuck, I did that one time. Then that's how he did it. That makes sense that they did it that way. So yeah. I think a lot of us look at it in, the, in that sense, like, you know, I'm not setting out to yeah. be a role model like Charles Barkley said back in the day, I'm not a role model, um, but you are putting your real world experience. In of course. And then you're seeing it flush out on the TV screen. And of course that's true. I'm just, I, you know, it's, that's absolutely true. 
And there's definitely things that I saw that, you know, resonated with me. Um, mm. But, you know, I would say that, like, in terms of, like, making a thing that, you know, teaches good lessons, it's like, I don't know if that was that was really an intent, but I definitely can see how you can sort of, like, watch a show, and if you really believe in the characters and you really love the characters, you know, you can really feel it as a part of yourself. And, you know, you can really get something out of it. I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely, man. We got one more, but this is a sidebar for a question. Um, I don't know why this popped back into my head. Uh, I can just imagine you and Toby sitting there. You're concentrated on what is the funniest fart that we're going to hear. We got to punch this shit up. How long is the funniest fart? Is it 10 seconds? Is it a quick in and out? What is the funniest fart (laughs) sound to Ian? I will say it's contextual. It is yeah. contextual. Because sometimes a really long fart is funny. Sometimes just like a little, you just want like a little like quick yeah. one. Like you could just like do it with your mouth, you know? I remember oh. like on, uh, I think I think I might have mentioned it, but like on, on Adventure Time, there was one time when like Penn did this joke with like Jake in Finn's pocket. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, Jake's in there. And he just turns around and he just goes like, Pfft. it's yeah. just like a really quick little <laughs> fart. That was that was always really funny. There were just some on like, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. It really depends. It really depends. It's contextual. It's contextual. Uh, I think the funniest, for... the funniest fart is like the one that happens uh, when you and your friends least expect it. And you absolutely. Just, you're in the car with your friends and it's like someone rips one at like the absolute worst time. That's that's what the funniest fart is. It happened to you. That's what I'm saying out there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I we got pulled over by the cops one time when we were younger. I was driving. I was speeding. And then the guy I was with was always super nervous when it came to anybody in an authoritarian, right, in an, an authoritarian um, manner. So we're there and he's like, oh, fuck, dude, I can't I can't be getting into trouble. My mom's going to be pissed. I was like, dude, just calm down. It's OK. We'll be fine. Speeding ticket. It's going to suck. Blah, 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 blah. Right. I'm just trying to make him calm down so he doesn't fucking freak out. And he's and he looks over. He's like, dude, something's going to happen. I was like, no, dude, shut up. He's just coming over. He's going to ask for my license. This has happened once before. Just calm down. As I'm rolling the window down, all you hear is burn. <laughs> and I just happen to look over. I'm like, dude, this is the worst fucking time and the cop heard it he laughed we got off with a warning because i think the guy farted so <laughs> needless to say a well-placed yeah. fart will get you into trouble or out of trouble it's apparently. true it's <laughs> true you never know you just never know absolutely man and this is the last question then we'll get out of here man so inquisitive nerd wanted to know you have to start a dungeons and dragons group who's playing and what's the theme extra points for a named character oh my gosh i I have no idea how to answer this one. Uh, <laughs> who's playing? I don't know. I, that's a really hard question. Wait, can you go to another question? I don't Absolutely, know. Absolutely, man. That. We got a. I, we got one I, here. I'll, I'll just say this. I played. I played a. Um, uh, I played a campaign once with some friends. I had a paladin. My paladin's name was Ray J. Murder, and he was <laughs> like, he was like learning to be a paladin he was like 
I just want to change. I just want to change my ways. I just want to change my ways. And so I just go through the game with him being like, I, you know, he wants to murder things, but he's like, no, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be a paladin now. I'm like, a, I'm like a chill guy now. Um, and then he would like totally lose it uh, every mm-hmm. once in a while. That's like a weird character that I made w- one time, but like, yeah, I don't, I can't answer that question. It's too, it's too confusing. I, uh, I, I used to play with my buddies and then once work started picking up and we had a second kid and then a third kid on the way, uh, I, I have, and then the podcast, I have no time to play Dungeons and Dragons anymore. But however, the last campaign I ran, I was running a wizard. I'm always like when I played World of Warcraft, I'm always into the spellcasters, man. I love throwing right. fireballs. So I ended up doing a major wizard or something along those lines. And then he was like, all right, well, you got to find a, cause we played on roll 20. We played on online cause everybody's in a different state. So he's right. like, all right, you guys got to find a char- picture of your character. And I was like, fuck, dude, this is the first time I've ever played Dungeons & Dragons. I don't know what I'm doing. So I was watching Mr. Deeds, uh, the Adam Sandler movie. And it's the it's the <laughs> scene where Crazy Eyes is stuck in um, in jail. So each eye is going in a different direction. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to take Steve Buscemi and turn him into a wizard slash mage, right? So I take that and then I take uh, I'm horrible with Lord of the Rings name. So I take the the dude that's like the elf for the first Lord of the Rings movie. And I had cut his face out and I put Steve Buscemi's face on the elf. Right. So he looks <laughs> horrible. Eyes going the different way. He's got long hair. So the GM or the DM, excuse me, uh, sees this and he's like, well, he's like, by your picture that you chose, I'm going to give you a option. He was like, well, you can take the easy way, the hard way. I was like, fuck it. Let's take the hard way. You ain't going to kill us. He was like, well, you no, know, I'm not going to kill you guys, but you're going to kill everybody. He was like, all right. So since your character is cross-eyed to the upteenth level, man, he was like, every time you roll a fireball, you have to run one out of a hundred, right? So roll 100. And he's oh, like, wow. anything under, <laughs> anything under 50, you nuke the party, anything 51 to a hundred, you nuke the you nuke the uh, the opponents. I was like, all right, cool. This sounds pretty easy. Every single role I had, I nuked the party. I ended up being the reason for a TPK <laughs> because of his stipul- stipulations, man. All right. So since we skipped the last one, we'll use this one as the last Please. one. I think this is pretty fun. Um, uh, Slurpy Money wants to know. Interesting choice. Uh, whose new projects would you recommend everyone check out? Is there any creators out there? Uh, that we should be following ahead of some big news. So is there anybody out there that you're really loving their work that you should say, go check these guys out? Hmm. 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 There's a lot of, there's a lot of people uh, who I'm really excited about. Um, I'm really trying to think who would be, who would be the, the best person. Um, let's see. There's, um, Oh man, I'm really trying to think about it because there there is a lot of stuff. It it's tough right now, you know. The the mm-hmm. um industry is in like a in in a weird position. Um, it's hard for people to to make like original, uh, new original things. Um, and it's 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 tough. Uh, for like like a lately not a lot of new shows have been coming out it's not as it's not like it was back in the heyday of cable where it was just like show after show after show yeah. after show you know everything was coming out um but i'm trying to think um 
a show that I'm really excited about. It's not, you know, it's not like a brand new original show. It is IP. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's a cartoon, uh, by Marvel studios, Spider-Man freshman year. Um, that's being executive produced by, um, uh, Jeff Trammell, who's a, who is a writer, uh, who worked at cartoon network and a bunch of other places. Um, and I'm really excited to see how that show uh, turns out uh, because I love the like, you know, um, the like the like uh, street level Spider-Man uh, mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that that's something that I'm that I'm excited to to find. Beautiful, man. Well, yeah. like I said, thank you for these last two episodes. It's been a real blast getting to pick your brain and see where you came from what you were doing and then what you're doing now, man. Uh, I really treasure chats like these because we'd get to see kind of the, uh, the level where you have an idea, you incubate it and then it goes out of the world and then it either sinks or it fails. And one thing that I've absolutely loved while going through and getting to check out, you know, your, your career is the shows you worked on all hit me at different stages of my life. You know, early early adulthood i'm watching venture brothers then i'm going into you know the transition from that to being in the navy being deployed and catching adventure time when i could catching steven universe when i could and then eventually getting to watch the series once everything kind of hit streaming and i was out of the military and then ending it with and i'm not saying your career is over but ending you know the the uh, this this chat with okko uh much like regular show uh, this was one where I kind of got to bond with my kid watching it. So, like I said, as kids get older, it's very hard for parents to kind of like contact or not contact because it sounds like he's in a different, you know, different area. But just to converse with these kids, man, because they've got their own shit. They don't really want to be around their parents anymore. You know, they're trying to find their own way through life. So it was cool to sit down and be able to connect with something. And he flipped his shit when he saw Sonic. When he was younger, like Sonic was like everything to him. He loved the coins. The music for Sonic, I still say, is one of the best soundtracks oh, yeah. uh, in sure. any video game out there. Them and Mega Man are the two ones that come to mind um, as far as that side goes. But yeah, you gave us something to like really sit down and veg out to and just have fun, laugh. Um, like I said, any chance I could see a mullet, any chance I could see a Rex Quando S character from Napoleon Dynamite right. in anything, dude, I fucking love it, man. So I had a blast. And like I said, thanks for making awesome. uh, these shows awesome. Of um, course. Thanks for watching. Well, anytime, man. Well, he's been Ian. I've been Julian. It's been the What's My Head podcast. And this has been a, another piece of your childhood. Good night. Thanks so much. <laughs>